said, would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? Book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're back in the book of Ephesians, right? Y'all excited to be back in the book of Ephesians? Amen. So we've just gone over the very first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And the very first three chapters, what they do is they let us know what does God think about us? What does God think about those who love him, those who are saved? And I always tell this um, to the guys and the girls that I meet with, the inmates and the detainees that I meet with in the jail. And I always tell them, a church is not a building. A church is not an offering and an income. A church is when the people of God meet together in community. I said, right now, we're having more powerful church than many other places throughout the world. Right now, the power of the church is more present here than it is in some buildings and in some congregations that meet on a Sunday morning. This is the church. So what we're doing is we've been studying the book of Ephesians together and telling us how does God see the community of believers. So what I want to do is I kind of want to go over that, how God sees the community of believers for a few moments about what does God see when he sees our church. When God sees our church, he sees holy and faithful people. God sees the one he chose before the creation of the world. Yes, God chose you before anything, before a tree was planted, before the oceans were separated, before the land gave way, before the sun was in the sky and the stars were hung. God chose you. God sees us as his children, his sons and daughters in Jesus. God sees us as those who he has redeemed and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. When God sees our church, he sees a beautiful temple filled with the Holy Spirit. He sees our church as his prized possession. He sees our church as blessed. He sees our church as the very body of Christ itself. God sees our church as something that was spiritually dead but is now vibrant and alive in him. God sees you as citizens of his kingdom, heirs to the kingdom of God. God sees the people of our church truly loving each other and truly loving Christ. God sees the people of our church perfectly united together by the power of his Holy Spirit. So you see all the amazing ways that God sees us. This is what it means to be called of God. Having a calling of God does not mean God called you to be an evangelist, a pastor, a prophet, a teacher. Those are segments of how God can use you. But everyone who has received Jesus as their Savior is called by God. He's called us to be holy and faithful and adopted and forgiven and filled and loving each other and perfectly united with each other. The question is, why can God see us this way? Because he sees us through a specific set of glasses that were made 2,000 years ago. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. When he looks at us, he sees the life, the work, the ministry of his son who was holy, perfect, and faithful. Let's get into God's word. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says this. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There needs to be a change in your life when you receive Jesus as your Savior. Things should not stay the same. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. We just said, how did God see us? Now let's talk about this powerful question. Do we match how God sees us? 
See, if we look at ourselves as a church, do we, do we see these things? So how are you doing right now as a child of God? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we doing the things that he has called us to do? Are we loving each other and loving Jesus? Are we experiencing real unity and peace with each other and with God? I'm going to answer that question for you. In some ways, yes, and in other ways, no. So, so what's the next step that we can take as a church to become more like God already sees us to be? What can we do to get closer to God? I think the, the English Standard Version, which is what we read, has a better translation of Ephesians 4.1 than, than the New uh, International Version, the NIV. It says, I therefore... The therefore is, is a reference to all the ways that God has called and blessed and graced us in chapters 1 through 3. So therefore, because of all of these wonderful things, therefore, because of all these wonderful blessings, therefore, because all of the wonderful ways that God looks at us, the NIV says, live worthy. But the ESV says, walk worthy. Because all of these wonderful blessings that God has given us because of all the ways that God sees us, my life needs to be lived differently. It needs to look differently. I like how the English Standard Version literally breaks this down into steps. So I've begun this, this new hobby lately, okay? I'm obsessed with hiking, right? And, and one of these days, I want to hike the Appalachian Trail. It starts in Georgia, and it ends in Maine, some hike it all at once. Some folks take several years to do so. The Appalachian Trail goes along the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, the White Mountains. The Appalachian Trail is over 2,174 miles long. How long do you think it takes? Or how many steps do you think it takes to start the journey, though? One. Everyone who completes the Appalachian Trail starts it the same way by taking a single step. Today, Paul is giving us a handful of steps that we can take to walk worthy of the great calling and the amazing grace that God has poured out on our lives. So step one, ready? Humility. The first thing Paul calls us to in verse two is humility. Be completely humble. When we realize that God called us to salvation apart from any good deed or admirable quality, that we have, it should humble us. God didn't call you because you were a spiritual superman in your life or because of how you pray or how hard you pray or how you've got your character and your life all together or how you got all your bills paid up or the neighborhood that you live in or the job that you work in. Believe me, if anything, those things would have likely worked against you. God called you in spite of our bad character qualities, in spite of the lack of, of good deeds. So what's the opposite of humility? Pride, arrogance, entitlement, my way or the highway. In ancient Greek, there's a word for that. It's called dumb. In ancient Greek culture, they used to view humility as a waste of time. But look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says this. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Shh, let's pause right there. Let, let, me, let me pause right there. God has grace towards you. Favor is when God is on your side. I never want to be on the opposite end of God's spear. You don't ever want to be opposed to God. Because I assure you, you're not going to win. If God opposes the proud, you never want to be on that end of things because you are setting yourself for destruction. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that pride comes before the fall. Ooh. 
There's a prophetic word for your life if you're proud. It's that sooner or later you will fall. You will fall hard. It will be an embarrassing fall. And you will have no choice but to look to the very people that you talked about, shamed, and backbit to lift you up. I know a story of a pastor. I love this pastor so much. He was a powerful, powerful Bible teacher. Powerful Bible teacher. Grew the church to something like 15,000 people in the most unchurched city in America, Seattle, Washington. 15,000 people grew it from his living room in his house. That's where the church began. Church was mega church. Powerful, powerful Bible teacher. And I could remember one time, several times, the guy would be teaching the Bible and then using the opposite approach and saying, hey, well, these are some people that believe some bad things. And he would show images of preachers that were preaching on it. He was so opposed to the charismatic move, the gifts of the Holy Spirit movie. And he would show all these men preaching. And he would rail against Pentecostals and charismatics and until, for one reason or another, the church of 15,000 people had to close. Close down. Pastor Rick Warren preached the very last message of that church by video. And the church separated and closed down. And the pastor had to move to another city and state. And he was hurt and he was wounded. And want to know who lifted him up? The Charismatics and the Pentecostals. He had railed against Pastor Joel Osteen, and I, I get everybody sees him differently. I think the brother has a gift of encouragement, and I think we need all sorts of gifts in the church. He apologized to him, called him. His mentor, the person who oversees him, is Pastor Robert Morris right now. The very first opportunity that he got to preach after being expelled from his church was at James River Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri. The people that he railed against. And he'll tell you today that the same people that he railed against were the same people that lifted him up and were gracious to him. What does it mean then for a church to have a humble spirit? How do we build a, a humble culture? It means we're not here to make our name famous, but Christ. I'm not here to find a way to elevate myself or to elevate my position. It means that we value the ways that God has gifted and called each one of us. It means that we love teams. We love life groups. We love working together, even though it's not easy. It means that we're willing to confess our sins when we hurt each other and when we do something wrong. And it means that no one is better than anyone else. You know what? I have a policy in this church. Want to know what that policy is? I don't know what anybody gives. I have no idea if you give or if you don't. Because I never wanted to be skewed in the way I ministered to anybody at all. I don't care. That's between you and God. You know your business. If you're a believer, you know what the scriptures say. That is business between you and God. But I don't view any of those things. I see the big picture, the big budgetary numbers. Because I need to minister to all people the same. No one's better than anyone else. Step two is gentleness. See, if your humility is your right foot, gentleness is your left foot. The two go together. It says be completely humble and gentle. What's the opposite of gentleness? anger, rage, nastiness, being mean. If you don't have humility, you have pride. So how does this work? Let me, let me break this down how this works. If someone comes and steps on your proverbial toes, what does it cause? Is there anger and rage that wells up in you, which leads to gossip and division. Listen to me. There is no way that gossip, sharing information that's not yours to share, information that needs to be kept to you, that is private, that needs to be between you and your family or you and the Lord, 
You can never walk away from that without it causing some segment of division, without it breaching walls and cracking through some things. It may not break it completely, but believe me, it will breach it. It will expose cracks. It will expose division. Now, God takes gossip so seriously that he calls this sin. Now, God took the time to say that murder is sin. Took the time to say that sexual immorality is sin. He also took the time to say that gossip is sin. Because what is gossip? Gossip is looking for someone to listen to information that carries my own personal skew and offense in an effort to convince them that my side of the offense is the right side. It is an attempt, an ungodly, demonic attempt to begin a sadistic war between people. That is the problem. And the problem is, is that once you share gossip, I can go to you and you and me who had an issue can heal our offense, but I can't take back everybody who I recruited to my side. In the same time that I receive healing, they might not receive healing. They may continue to carry the offense. It is an ungodly thing. This is why gossip is such a serious offense because the people who are called of God, people who are believers are called to be preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we're called to show people the way of Jesus. When we are gossipers, we become preachers of our own satanic twisted offense and we evangelize people to our offense instead of the gospel. If someone does something to anger me and my first reaction is offense and and bitterness and yelling and gossip and coarse language, then I have a prophetic word from the Lord for you. Grow up. But if we start with humility, if someone hurts us, will we go to them with a spirit of gentleness and compassion and talk it through? As people who sin and disobey God, the Bible says that we deserve God's wrath. But instead of pouring that wrath out on us, Jesus took that punishment on himself so that you and I could experience the gentleness or the grace of God. We're redeemed. We're forgiven instead of being destroyed. So let's ask ourselves, how can I be more humble? How can I be more gentle? Step one, humility. Step two, gentleness. Step three, still in verse two, Paul says, be patient. The Greek word for patient is macrothemia. It's a, it's a compound word. You know what a compound word is? It's, it's two words that are combined together, like, like soft ball or red head, right? It's two words, anger, rage, thumos, and a long time, macros. The very way that this word is constructed tells us that this patience, what it patience is, is delayed anger or long-suffering. Look at what James chapter 1 verse 19 says. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, let me tell you how you read this verse, right? Everyone should be slow to listen quick to speak, and quick to become angry. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Pastor Tim Keller tells the story of a woman who came to visit his church, and he began to talk with her and dialogue with her and ask, hey, you know, what brought you here? Why did you come here? And she'd worked for a company in Manhattan, and long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her the job. But her boss went to his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done as a result he lost the ability to be promoted and he lost some of his reputation she was amazed at what he had done and went into his office to thank him she told him hey there's been other supervisors that I've had that take credit for the things that I have accomplished but they've never taken the blame for anything that I've ever done wrong she wanted to know what made this guy different finally he told her He said, I'm a Christian. That means, among other things, 
that I have done wrong. Jesus accepts me and took the blame for the things that I've done wrong. And he did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a long while and asked him, where do you go to church? This man's patience helped lead her to become a Christian. See, that's a beautiful example of patience expressed to non-Christians outside of the church. I think it's easier to be patient with people who are non-Christian because we have a little bit of a lower expectation of conduct for them. But Christ also calls us to express that kind of patience inside the church with each other. Paul says this, step four, bear with one another in love. Part of living a life worthy of everything that God has given us is simply loving each other despite what we put each other through. The word bear also means to endure. See, I've, I, I, I've been there. I've done that. I think sometimes we expect hostility from outside the church, but we often experience it from our brothers and sisters inside the church. We're called to endure persecution and hardship from the world but Paul says to endure in the local church what he's saying is stick with it why do we stick with it because God endures you and guaranteed God needs a lot of patience to deal with you despite our sin he chooses to love us so what is all these steps why does humility gentleness and patience what does all of these things do they unify us. They bring us together. They help us stick together even when it's not easy. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. When we encounter conflict in any church, it's easy to say, hey, I've tried everything that I can to resolve this thing. An eyebrow goes up and I'll ask you, have we? Can't we try just one more thing? Paul says to make every effort to keep the unity. Have we humbled ourselves? Are we being gentle? Are we being patient? Are we loving? Could we be more humble, gentle, patient, and loving than we are already? John, why don't you come up here, brother? Paul's literally writing this letter, the book of Ephesians, from jail. All right, he's under house arrest in Rome, physically chained up. The way the Romans would do this thing is that they would literally have a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, okay, and they would tie the prisoner together with the soldier so that the prisoner would be linked up with the soldier all the time. <laughs> Y'all didn't see that. He's, the Apostle Paul is literally using this as an illustration. He's saying the church should be chained together in peace. That means if I try to go this way, I can't move because my commitment to the local body has been chained together in the bonds of peace. I can't go this way when I'm offended because my commitment to the body draws me together. I've been chained in the bonds of peace. I can't go this way when something upsets me or when my preferences aren't met because wherever I go, I'm tied down to the local church. I am chained. I am handcuffed. Thank you. I am handcuffed to the local church. No matter what I do. You know, I love the movies, right? Y'all seen, this is a common plot line in the movies, right? They take two characters who don't like each other and they handcuff them together at some point in the movie. And what ends up happening? Through adventure, through hardship, they end up loving and caring for each other and forming relationship because they've gone through some stuff together. When you stick out a relationship with a friend or a spouse that you felt hurt or offended by, when you say, hey, I'm not going anywhere, over time you discover a love for that person. I call it sticky relationships. And I call this philosophy of ministry, this ideal of being chained together with the church, the idea of the sticky church. 
over time, you're going to discover that you love that person and that your life is enriched because it's been seasoned through hardship. So today what I did is I brought several handcuffs here. And I'm going to handcuff you to each other, okay? This is how we're going to end the service. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now look, I can't decide for you if you're willing to say, I'm going to put these spiritual handcuffs on, and I'm going to put these handcuffs of peace, and I'm going to be grounded, I'm going to be rooted in a local church. The only person that can decide those things is, is you. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love, and unity. But here's the deal. Those are actually not the foundation pieces of our unity. They're how we help maintain unity and live worthy of everything that God has given us. But we're actually unified by something else. And we've been talking about these steps that we take on a hike to get to different places or to grow in maturity. But what's the actual trail? See, we have to also make sure that we're all walking on the same trail and on the same path with each other. Not everyone can walk this pathway, Scripture says. You see, there's only one trail. It's called the straight and narrow path. And according to the Bible, there's only one entrance, and it's through Jesus. And Paul tells us uh, actually uh, uh, several things um, here that, that I want to go through here that, that tells us a little bit about this trail that we're on. He says there's one body. That means you don't, you don't do it alone. You don't go at life alone. In fact, on this trail, you can't go at it alone. You will become defeated, deflated. You will become a tragedy on the side of life's proverbial road. You need a church family to walk this with you. Paul calls the church family a body. That means each person is valuable and important. Together, we make the whole body work. But what happens? Sometimes we get jealous and nasty of each other. And the knee looks down at the foot and says, what do I need you for? You're a dirty, nasty foot. Why aren't you a knee? Or the thumb looks at the belly button and says, oh, you really stink and you have no, no purpose. But you see, without the foot, without the knee, without the thumb, without the belly button, we wouldn't be a complete body. We're all vital, even the additional digits. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, all, we're all vital. We are all vital. One spirit, Paul says. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which also means breath. See, each part of the body can be present, but without the Holy Spirit here, we're a corpse. Oh man, I don't like to walk into a dead church. There's no spirit of God that's present. We need the Holy Spirit to fill our church lungs so that we can walk this road together. Verse 3 tells us that we're not the ones who create unity. We simply maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit creates. It is from Him. Scripture says, one hope. Have you ever heard the song? My hope is built on nothing less than and righteousness. Paul throws in how he's feeling. He says, look, I can show you the key to feel good no matter what you're going through. Even if you're strapped together and tied together with this stinky Roman centurion, I show you the key. I have a hope. My hope has a name. His name is Jesus. He says, one Lord, that's Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. Our unity as a church is found in Jesus, who is called the head of the body. What does the head do? It directs the body. It leads us forward. See, the person who unites and directs the church is Jesus. He died and rose again, not for a random group of people, not so that we can be scattered all over the place. He died for this thing called the church to make broken people into a holy and faithful people. People, to make us into the people that God already sees us as. 
He said, one faith. Now, this doesn't mean believing in something for the sake of belief. I'm going to say something controversial. I realize that that might not sit well with everyone, but I'm called to preach the gospel. All belief systems are not equal. There is a radically offensive claim in Christianity, and it is that we claim to know the truth. None of us individually claims to know the truth entirely, but we believe the Bible itself presents the truth. And so we discover truth claims about life and reality in its pages, and we believe them and we align our lives to them. That's when we begin to find ourselves unified under one faith. And this is a common issue in our culture. Okay, I, I, I love it. Oh, going to church, having a community, it makes me feel really, really, really good. But um, as it relates to Scripture, as it relates to Scripture, uh, I think I can mend that so that it kind of fits what I desire for um, my life because that's a little hard to be able to do so mm, not gonna do that that's a little hard truth that doesn't mesh together with uh, with my friends and with my family that I have around and I'm gonna offend them if I believe that so I'm mm, not gonna believe that and so we create you know the the second president of, of, of the third president rather of the United States Thomas Jefferson did this really interesting thing okay um, now, I know many of you have learned that all of the founding fathers of the United States were Christians, okay? That is not fully correct. Some of them were. Some of them were what we call pseudo-Christians, okay? So what Thomas Jefferson did was he took the Bible and he made his own Bible. He took and he cut the verses out that he liked and that he enjoyed, pasted them onto a piece of paper, took out all the miracles from scripture and left only the philosophy of doing good to one another from the Bible. He cut it to, to suit his needs, what he philosophically thought. Now I realize that you don't probably go home and you're not gonna go home today, or hopefully not, and take scissors to your Bible and start cutting out things that you like and things that you don't, but you do this all the time spiritually. We cut out things that we don't like and we just take in all the stuff that we do. What we believe matters. Our statement of faith matters. These are important things. Because in those things, we have truth that we believe in. When we, believe, when, we, when we act in a way that causes the scriptures to conform to us, we are doing, I believe it's C.S. Lewis who said, we are having Christianity without the cross. There's no more carrying the cross of Christ because the cross is offensive. There's only he heaven and the beauty of heaven and there's no judgment and there's no hell. Well, you can't ignore those realities in scripture. Those are truths. You can't just let that go in favor of all of the wonderful lollipop, cotton candy, good things. It says one baptism. When we become Christians, one of the things we do is we get baptized. Baptism is a public profession of faith in Jesus. It's a public testimony that God has gotten a hold of my heart. When Christians come to know Jesus as their Savior, they go through what we call an initiatory rite of baptism. They are publicly declaring that their faith is in Jesus, and we share a common baptism. That's part of what unites us as a church family. One God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. The true beauty of Christianity is that the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, completely holy, makes us safe in him. In fact, if you're willing to confess your sins and believe his son, you get to call that God your father. Notice Paul, this is really important because you're going to see this throughout scripture, right belief. Speaks of one spirit, one Lord, one God, one father. Well, gee, what is that? It's the Trinity. One God and three persons. Yes, God calls us to come along on this long, hard journey. And let me tell you, this trail will have some beautiful ups with beautiful mountain vistas and pictures 
picturesque scenery and the brisk air and the beautiful mountain and the springs that come along with it, but it will also have downs, low valleys full of backbiting and and frustrations. But through it all, we're not hiking on this path alone. God is with us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all with us, calling us into deeper relationship with God. Together, we can walk this path with God. Together, we can walk this path together as a church family. So what's the next step? What are you going to take? Are you willing to take a step of humility or or gentleness or patience or or love this morning? Do you need to somehow refine what you believe so that you're sure you're walking the same pathway? What I want to do is I want to challenge you. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. And, and, if, and if these areas are an area of weakness, I'm going to gently pray for you, but I'm going to give you, a, again, I'm going to give you uh, the Greek word here that's going to help you to resolve this issue. Grow up. Grow up. You can't be years in the gospel and keep on operating the same way. You can't be years in the gospel and entertaining and being bedfellows with sin. Because at that point, it's not annoying. It's not a struggle. It's you fully embrace this thing and Jesus is your side piece. There's a problem there. Either you walk with Christ or you're not. There's no middle road on this thing. There's no middle ground. There's some growing up that needs to happen. And part of growing up is sometimes I relinquish my rights. You ticked me off, right? I've got the right to be offended at you. You're nasty. Why would you say those things? Why would you do that thing that offended me? I've got a right in my flesh to be angry at you. But in Christ, I relinquish my right to be offended with my brother, and I make the tough choice to sit down and have the conversation. It's hard. It's not easy but I make the choice to have the conversation. I have a right to become angry. I get angry all the time. Oh, I have a type A personality. I like things to be mm, 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 perfect. And there are things that upset me to the nth degree. There's things that upset me in church that I see and I'm like, mm, 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 mm. I got a right when I see something not functioning in the church to go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm the pastor. Why did you do that? You messed us up. Don't you realize people are depending on you? I have the right. But I relinquish that right in Christ. And I'd rather, not that I let that go, I'd just rather have a better conversation that says, hey, people are depending on you. Is there a way that we can work through this a little bit? I have a woof. I can explode. I have the right to go at it with my wife when she starts saying things that I don't like. But in Christ, I relinquish that right because God calls me to love her as Christ loved the church. And boy, Christ does love the church because he is deeply patient with that thing. Remember I told you several weeks ago, hashtag Jesus married crazy. <laughs> the church, the church... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, the the uh, I used to have this pastor, right? Okay, this pastor. Uh, many of you might know him. He's his name is Pastor Fogel from Calvary Temple. Uh, he's he's one of the founding pastors at Calvary Temple, and and uh, one of the things that he used to say is, "I do not like granola Christians." You know what are granola Christians? Fruit, nuts, and flakes. Yeah. There's some things that just make you explode. They, 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 you, when you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into relationship with Christ, I give up the right to react to those things in favor of behaving like my master and like my savior. I've got some rights. I've got the right to power up and say, I'm a pastor. Oh, well, real good. I've never done that. 
since I've been, I've never had to go that route. Well, I'm the pastor of the church. No. If you respect me and I let myself be respected by you and I behave with integrity, you'll already know that. I don't need to power up on you. I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to let you know those things. Same way, look, I, I used to have this guy in my life. I was able to get the really private glimpse of my life. And this guy, every time he used to get angry at someone, right? He used to say, well, they're a man like me and I put on my pants one leg at a time, just like they do. (laughs) Yes, sure, you can say that to someone. But what, 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 how does it help that frustration? How does it help? It, it helps better to behave like Christ. You got a real problem? Grab a pillow at home and scream into that puppy. Don't take it out on people. We wound people out of our own woundedness. Oh, <coughs> I didn't like what you did. Fine, John did something to me that offended me. He hurt my feet. John, I'm so sorry. He didn't do anything to me. I'm just using him as an example. You've done something to me that hurt me. You've done something that, that, that offended me, right? Maybe it was a nominal thing. But I'm going to go to John and I'm going to say to him, John, you've just ticked me off. I mean, what's the matter with you? Can't you get your life together? And I just rail on him. Now, I've just offended him. You've got no position, no standing to talk to anybody about anything if you're going to approach an offense with another offense. This doesn't work. You have to relinquish rights in Christ. You've got the right to do something. You've got the right to remain silent when somebody offends you. And now I don't want to talk to them. They're so nasty, I don't want a relationship with them. Yeah, you're sure, you have the right to do that. But in Christ, I relinquish that right. Because I'm called to unity with you. I'm called to brotherhood with you. So we'll work through the crap. We'll work through the garbage. We'll work through all the gunk to make our relationship work. Because I need to be rooted somewhere. I need to grow somewhere. I'm never going to be the palm tree that the Psalms say the believer should be if I don't have roots somewhere. Yesterday, I went to my mother-in-law's house, and you'll remember for Volunteer Appreciation uh, Sunday, right? I think it was back in April, okay? We, there were some uh, gifts that were given out, and then there was little, a little basil plant that was given out. So I took that basil plant, I planted it in my backyard, and I've been taking care of that thing, okay? And for the last several months, I've been, I have this thing that I like, okay? I have a secret Italian inside of me. And I like taking basil and basil spread and mozzarella with a little olive oil and a little salt and pepper and putting it on that thing. And, and I'll go at that thing at night. So I'll go out and I'll, you know, take that basil leaf off. I'll blend it up together. I'll, I'll, or, or Crystal will do it for me and, and, and I'm going at that thing. It tastes so good. Right? I went to my mother-in-law's house. I looked out on the balcony and I saw the basil plant. And Crystal goes, Mom, is that the basil plant? And she's like, yeah. It was still in the little plastic thing with the, with the yellow bow tied around it and it was about this big. Right? <laughs> Why? Why was my basil plant that I received from that day this tall? And I was able to harvest from it. And hers was this big. There was a reason. I took that thing out of that small cramped space and I planted it so that it could be rooted. You need to plant yourself so that you can be rooted in order for you to grow into the fullness of the potential that God has for you. That God has for you. That's why I always preach this time and time again. You stay committed to the body of Christ. You stay committed to the local church. Pastor Tom, should I leave the church when I'm offended at something? No. No. Pastor Tom, you're not the pastor of the church anymore. Should I leave the church? No. Stick with the body. 
Stick with the body of Christ. Pastor Tom, I don't really like how the sound is on Sunday or the songs that the worship team does or maybe the way the children's ministry does this that irritates me. Should I leave the church? No. No, you, you leave your preferences to the side for the glory of the kingdom of God and you become rooted in a local church. Pastor Tom, I don't like how you yell sometimes when you preach. Should I leave? Well, maybe you should. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. No. You stay rooted in the body of Christ so that we can go together. We can grow together. If you felt convicted today that maybe I need to be more humble or gentle or patient or loving or unified, I'm going to tell you today, you need to confess it. You need to confess it. You need to let that go and let the Spirit of God take control over that and you need to be willing to grow past it i'm gonna tell you one last story before our our worship team comes up it's okay john dude you're offending me (laughs) tell you one last story it's about a man This man had a new pastor show up in his church. And he was the treasurer of the church. And the new pastor went to him and said, Hey, I need you to sign for me a blank check. And the treasurer of the church said, No way. I can't do that. We have to account for all the finances of where everything is going to. We thought that that was resolved. So the pastor gets up on a Sunday and says, hey, just want to let everybody know, Brother Hilario has chosen to step down as the treasurer of the church. That man was my grandfather. In that moment, my parents were dating. My mom left the church. My dad left the church. My grandmother left the church. My grandfather stood there Sunday after Sunday being berated by this pastor. Sunday after Sunday. Because he said, this is, this is my church. It's my home church. My grandfather had done everything for that little church. He had fried little empanadas. They sold them all over New York City to be able to buy that little church building in New York City. He wasn't about to leave everything that he had rooted and planted himself into. At the end of that pastor's tenure, that pastor received a prophetic word. That because of how he had conducted himself in that church, that he would not go on to pastor a church for several years after that. At the end of his ministry in that church, as he was leaving the church and transitioning out and a new pastor was coming in, guess who showed up at my grandparents' apartment to get on his knees and ask for forgiveness for how he had done things. In that moment, healing happened. That pastor left that church. When I was a kid, we visited that pastor several times when they had moved from New York City to Puerto Rico. I played with his kids. We've seen him when he moved to Pennsylvania and kept in contact with them. Healing happened. If my grandfather would have walked out of that church along with everybody else, the story would have been unsealed. Healing would have never happened. The wound would have stayed and festered and rotted the whole family. Because one man stood faithful and endured. Now, my family had endured in churches. I mean, I, I could remember we were faithful churchgoers all the time. Faithful during the week, on Sunday, 
you know, four or five times a week we were going into church. I was talking with my wife the other day. She was saying, well, Wednesday nights is really difficult on kids. And they, you know, we put our kids to bed at 7 o'clock. I'm like, my mother used to take me to church at 7.30 at night. And if that evangelist didn't stop preaching until 11 o'clock at night, guess what? I was going to bed at 11.30 at night when I got home. After we had finished walking from Avenue A all the way to 14th Street. I learned those things from my grandfather. I could remember moments. I remember one time we had a pastor one week. Then he left to another church. And nobody ever told us anything until we just found the new pastor the, new, the, the next Sunday. We met the new pastor. Hey, you're our new pastor. Great. And this would happen several times over the course of several years. Guess what? Pastor got there. Pastor left. Pastor got there. Pastor left. Pastor got there. Pastor left. Guess where the Padilla family was? Same church. Same church. They were rooted in the church. We need that sense of rootedness again in the body of Christ. We need that sense that we're going to be a part of something. It may be challenging. We may not like everything that happens. Give me tell me the pastor of the church and I don't like everything that happens in the church. You're not going to like everything. You're not going to like everything that I said. You're not going to like how this is done and that's done and that's done. Well, okay, that's okay. We all have our own individual preferences. My dad taught me this statement. Opinions are like, everyone's got one. Hey, everybody's going to have an opinion. So we can get along. We can be together. Oh, you're a, uh, you're a Republican? Well, we can be together. You're a Democrat? We can be together. We can worship in the same church together. We can be one dysfunctional family together. But we need to do it together. You come from that side of the road tracks, no problem. I come from this side of the road tracks, no problem. We can do it together. We can be together. For those of you who say, well, Pastor Tom, you you know, I can't imagine. I didn't raise you up. Risen King Church raised you up. Risen King Church gave you opportunity. I didn't do it. The church, the body of Christ, did it for you. I'm just the vessel at this moment in this season who God is using for this place. One day, when I'm old and gray, God might have another vessel. As a matter of fact, I caught my daughter in the nursery the other day. Right? On Wednesday night, before everything started, she's, she's talking to Jace. And she goes, yeah, when my dad and my mom dies, I'm going to become the pastor at Risen King Church. (laughs) Well, really, I didn't know we were building a nepotistic dynasty in here. We'll save that for other churches. And then my my other daughter goes and she goes, yeah, and I'm going to be the pastor too. (laughs) And my oldest daughter tells her, no, but you're going to be the pastor of another church. My kids see themselves as rooted in this place. I want your kids to see yourself as rooted. I want this to be your home for us to grow together. For us to have friction and make it through that friction. And let that friction spark the fire of the Holy Spirit in us. To do something big in us. This is unity. Unity is not uniformity. We all think the same. I think that things should be done this way, so things should be done this way. No, that's pride. Unity is not uniformity. Unity means, well, we come together collectively with our own different ideas, and for the body of Christ, we work towards one common vision together, and that's reaching anyone and everyone who needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what age they are, no matter what stage in life they are, no matter what their socioeconomic background or education level or where they live, we want them in the body of Christ. Why? Because Jesus wants them. And we want to be on the side of Jesus 100% of the time. Amen? Amen. Would you join me and let's, let's pray. Let's pray as our, our worship team. Y'all got permission to come up now. <laughs> I'm like a comedian today. 
So, um, so Father, um, God, today's word isn't, isn't easy. It's, it's a difficult word, but you're calling us to something different and something difficult. You never promised that the road would be, be easy and that there wouldn't be issues along the way. You've called us to stick together for the sake of your gospel so people can be reached with the power of your gospel, God. And so thank you, God. We lay our preferences to the side. We lay our right to offense down because your way is far better than, than my way. Your thoughts far better than my thoughts, God. And Father, in those moments where we fall out of line, would you give us that reminder? For those of us who receive it gently, give it to us gently. For those of us who need a little bit of a loud scream, give us that. Because all we want to do is be obedient to you, God to find favor in your sight and to never be in opposition to your love in opposition to your desires God we love you King Jesus and we commit to rootedness this morning Amen Salvation, the heroes in conflict. 
togetherness. We're going to give you the opportunity to take your, your uh, Life Groups catalog and uh, for some of our folks that weren't able to, to be here today but all of the Life Groups have sign up. We have even a, a women's group that meets online. Okay? You don't even have to be in the building. Alright? Um, we have a, our women's breakfast that meets together on Sunday mornings. Men's groups. Youth young adults groups as you've seen already we have cry of the soul which i already shared with you um, about downstairs so there's a variety of ways to plug in and plug ahead so we invite you plug in plug ahead get involved embrace community at risen king church amen god bless you may the love and the peace that surpasses all understanding be with you